already up. It might already be up, but so there. Uh, whew, did my announcements, got that out of the way. Uh, really glad this is our uh, last sermon in this series, Purposeful, and uh, I want to pray us into that this morning. Father, we thank you for this uh, morning. We pray that you would bless the women as they are away, uh, just having a good time together and worshiping together, and we pray that you would just bless Lindley as she wraps up the weekend speaking there. Uh, we thank you for her faithfulness, and we thank you for all the work of all the women, MJ and Jordan and Steph and everybody else that went into this weekend, Father. We just pray that you would bless them. We ask your Holy Spirit would be here right now, close to us, filling this room. I just get that image of just water filling this room, like we're just swimming in you this morning. We pray that you would fill this physical space with your presence and thereby our hearts as well, that you would push out anything that would seek to uh, dampen clarity or twist truth or keep our minds focused elsewhere when we really need to hear your word to us this morning. We pray against all spiritual forces that would seek to bring uh, cloudiness to our thinking or bitterness to our hearts or anything like that. Father, just reign in this room right now as we listen to this final sermon. And in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So as I said, uh, this is our last sermon. My thing, my th- whatever it is, is not cooperating this morning. And, and uh, this series purposeful and then next week we're going to start on our easter series and uh by the way you can uh still use those cards you know they're all over the room someplace and grab one of those and mail them out to people and invite them to church for easter it'd be great um and we've we've been exploring our purpose in christ uh as individuals and also as the church over the last few weeks um through various personalities in the scripture uh, we've centered much of our, our, our thoughts, our efforts on understanding the Great Commission in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, uh, which we've said is his last command and our, our first concern uh, for God's glory and God's mission in the world, where it says, then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, therefore go, or as you are going about life is actually the better translation, as, you go, as you're going about life. Uh, make disciples of all nations, all people groups, um, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. That's the Great Commission. And, and this is Jesus' desire for all of us who, are, who call ourselves his followers, right? And, and, and with this passage as the drumbeat in the background, uh, we began first uh, in this whole series looking at Moses who made life decisions to follow God in this purpose. Uh, then Nehemiah, if you remember, who refused to be derailed by all the little distractions and temptations of life from this purpose. And then we went to Peter, uh, who was following Christ in obedience no matter the cost, unconcerned with what culture or individuals thought of his obedience to Jesus in this purpose. And then, to, and then uh, last week we looked at John, and John said to us that we are sent out in peace 
bearing Christ to others for the sake of God's glory and God's mission. And today we're going to le- learn to live as God's missionaries. And we're going to learn that from Jonah. Uh, I love the story of Jonah. Jonah 2 1 says this. Uh, chapter 2, verse 1, it says, Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish. Right? Awesome story. By the way, I think the story happened. If you want to know. Yeah, I went to college. I'm, I'm an intelligent person, and I think this story really happened. Anyway, but that's, that's neither here nor there. Um, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, if you know who he is, he was uh, one of the greatest of, the ni- uh, uh, of uh, preachers in the 19th century. Uh, English guy, you know, uh, really, really big name in, in the Christian pastoral world. Uh, he's quoted as saying, every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. Isn't that a great quote? I love that quote. Every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. And he, he pastored one of the first mega churches in London, um, the Metropolitan Tabernacle in London. And thousands of people came to faith through his ministry. Um, it's estimated that he preached upwards to uh, as many as 10 million people over the course of his life. But as you listen to that quote, do you think that he meant that all Christians everywhere are to be cross-cultural missionaries, uh, relocating miles from home and family and friends and all that stuff? Of course he didn't. That's not what he meant at all, right? Uh, although we do know that some people are called to be cross-cultural missionaries. We have them in the world to relocate far from home. God calls some of us to do that. Kim and I did that for nine years in Lampung, Indonesia, and and as a church, we support certain people, you know, what we call uh, missionaries, uh, you know, across the world in places like Indonesia and Syria and Lebanon and uh, Morocco. And we even uh, support one who trains people from Hawaii. I want that job uh, to go and go out to other various parts of the world. I'd love to live in Hawaii. But, um, but Spurgeon was speaking about all Christians, right? All of us as, as believers everywhere. Uh, in, in, in his mind, the essence of what it meant to be a Christian is, or what it means to be a Christian is, that we live our lives as missionaries regardless of who we are or where we are, right? Where we live. That we live our lives as missionaries. And we know that God calls us to faithfulness and obedience in, in, in the Word, and as we go about life, we make disciples wherever we are, Matthew 28, right? This is where the, and this is right, when we look at Jonah, this is, this is an intriguing narrative which invites us into this journey to discover the implications of what it means to serve God's purposes regardless of our personal preferences or our cultural biases, because Jonah was a little bit of a racist, Our purpose is that we live as people sent of God. Modern day missionaries where we live and work and play. And now today, we know that people often identify themselves in so many different ways. By activity, rock climbers and baseball fans or football fans. I don't know why you would identify yourself that way, but uh, some people do. I'm not a sports guy. Um, Vocation, you know. You're a chemist, you're a pastor, I, you know, that's part of my identity. Salespersons, business people, whatever, what have you, right? And for the first time in history, people, some people have chosen to identify themselves by various gender 
terminology, you know, divorced from their biological sex. That is unique to our time, right? But Christians don't get caught up in all of these changing cultural waves of distraction, nor do we put anything above and before Christ in life. Christians identify themselves with Jesus Christ, hence the the term Christian, right? We define our lives through the lens of a biblical worldview and God's created order, and we align ourselves with his purpose of glorifying God and obedience to his mission. That's what we do. We are ambassadors of Christ. We are missionaries wherever we are. Activities, vocations, sexuality, what have you, everything in our lives all conform to a biblical worldview as God has defined life. Everything in submission to Christ and his purposes for our lives. And it matters how we live then how we live and what we say in this missionary life. It matters very much. So in what ways does the term missionary resonate with your vocation and your life? Do you think of your life in the sense of that word? Do you you think about your influence on others? Or is that term reserved for other people, right? People that we send away, you know, the spiritual giants that go someplace else. And as you think on these questions, I, I, I want you to consider a few points. Firstly, that Jonah 2.1 begins by saying, then Jonah prayed, right? Then Jonah prayed. Which might seem in, insignificant to you, but it is indicative of the many ways that Jonah sought to escape God's direct command and his role as a prophetic voice on behalf of God to those people in Nineveh, the Assyrians. That was the capital city of Nineveh. It's, it's significant that un, not until chapter 2, there's no prayer which guides Jonah's decision-making process at all. He did not seek God in prayer before this. Now, we asked, last, or we asked last week, have, have we usurped the missio Dei, the mission of God, and made it to be the missio me, my mission, my purpose, right? My American dream and all that kind of stuff. And give yourself a litmus test, right? Have you ever prayed and asked the Holy Spirit to tell you what you should do with your life? Have you ever gone to God and said, you know, what, what do you want me to do? And when you think of decisions, especially large decisions, do you, do you ask God what he would have you do in any situation? Or do you push forward with your decision-making process only asking him to bless that after the fact, right? Or do you only pray when you get yourself in a bind? Do you employ other faithful Christians, strong people that are walking with the Lord really well, and ask them, asking them for wisdom and advice when you face such big decisions, asking them to confirm what they're hearing from the Lord for your life? Depending on how you answer those questions, you might be living the missio me and not the missio day, right? If we're honest with ourselves. We said last week that we're responsible under the grace of Christ with not only what we say, but how we live. That we're called to proclaim and demonstrate the gospel, right? 
to emulate Christ's example in life. It's clear, very, very clear in Scripture. Jesus didn't free us to live for ourselves. He set us free to emulate him in seeking his glory and his mission. He placed his righteousness upon us in order to be lights of his glory, his, his glory to the world. Sorry, I'm tongue-tied this morning. I don't know why. Romans 6.18 says... You have been set free from sin. You were a slave to sin before, right? You've been set free from sin, and you have become slaves to righteousness. So we've not been untethered from this control of sin and death in the world to just live for ourselves. We've exchanged evil taskmaster for benevolent king. We've just switched allegiances. Jonah was a prophet called by God to go and preach in this capital city of Assyria, and that was Nineveh, right? Jonah resisted God's call to go and preach to what was Israel's longtime um, enemy. That's why he, he hated these people. But after disobeying God and ending up in the belly of the fish, only then did Jonah pray. Only then did Jonah seek guidance. And then, reluctantly, he went to Nineveh and he preached and he found that his enemies were very responsive to God's message. They actually repented. See, we often live as if we are in control of ourselves, right? Asking God to put his stamp of approval on our decisions only after the fact, right? We make decisions and we get ourselves in a bind. Then, at worst, we blame God And at best, we do as Jonah did, praying for deliverance only after we've been swallowed by the fish. Swallowed by whatever it is that's got us in trouble. And we've got to remember, like Jonah's situation, God has not been invited to lead our process from the outset. And therefore, he cannot be blamed for the trouble in which we find ourselves often. Jonah was misguided because of a lack of prayerfulness, a lack of humility, a lack of transparency in his life. And he could have avoided the whole ordeal, right, and, and found, uh, he, that he found himself in by being obedient from the very outset. He could have just said yes to God. And we often make that same mistake, don't we? We can even find ourselves knowingly doing so at times as if we could be so flippant with life that it doesn't really matter how obedient we are or not. We fall into the trap of thinking, well, Israel is disobedient all the time. You know, these people in the scriptures were always disobedient. As if to say our disobedience is expected and even condoned by God since we reside under the grace of Christ, right? We operate thinking that God expects our disobedience. But what if we turn that over and we, we started to change our thinking? We started thinking that God expects our obedience. In gratitude for all that he's done for us in life. In Hebrews chapter 10, uh, verses 19 through 23, Paul, using the imagery of the most holy place in the temple where God resided. I, I, that, and if you don't know what that is, that is... That is uh, the innermost sanctum, the innermost part of the temple that was covered by this giant curtain. I think it was four inches thick of woven yarn. It was like 60 feet high and 30 or 40 feet wide or something like that. I I would have loved to have seen it. It was probably very beautiful. Um, 
it, it was this innermost sanctum where the Ark of the Covenant was, where nobody could go in there. That was where the presence of God resided. And only the high priest could go into that place once a year. And he had to go in there bringing the blood of a perfect lamb, a perfect sacrifice. And he would sprinkle it, sprinkle it on the altar to atone for the sins of Israel. It was all symbolic of the coming of Christ, right? And Paul uses this imagery here, equating Jesus with the blood and the even the curtain and and the uh, you know all this kind of stuff you'll see but uh, it says this therefore brothers and sisters since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus see he's the blood of, blood that atones for the sins of Israel by by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body and you remember the curtain was ripped in two when Christ was uh, crucified on the cross in in the temple that curtain was actually ripped in two. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with full assurance that faith brings. So what Christ has done on the cross has opened up the Holy of Holies, that most holy place, and now we can go in and commune with the presence of God, right? So having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. So our spirit, our heart is cleansed, but also even our bodies are cleansed, right? Let us all hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. So there's this sense of God's work of grace here, imaged by being able to enter into his presence due to Christ's death and resurrection, right? His atoning work is received by grace through faith alone, and it's he is the final sacrifice. He's the perfect lamb, right? He restores our relationship with the Father. But Paul also continues in verse 26. And this is a little chilling. He says, if we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left. That's a little chilling. Now, I don't believe that Paul is talking about the legitimate person that is struggling with their sin and you know they might have habitual sin in their life but they're repentant about it and they're trying to deal with it and they're trying to walk with the lord but sometimes they stumble and fall i don't think that's who he's talking about i think he's talking about the carnal christian the person that wants jesus you know as the fire insurance wants to have all the benefits of jesus but he doesn't really want to live life for jesus right he wants to have the fire insurance that will go to heaven when he dies, but he doesn't really want to glorify Christ. He wants to live for himself, do whatever he wants to do in life. That's what he's talking about. And there's a sense that grace must be internalized here, producing life change, changing us, right? And if we're still living only for ourselves, we've, we've not gotten it. We've not figured it out. Something's not happened. So stories like Jonah's are, aren't there to emulate and therefore abuse the grace of God. It's not why God wrote it in the, in the scriptures. God won't be used for our selfish purposes. You can't get over on him, right? We're to learn from these stories, turning away from our sinful desires uh, with sincere hearts, with full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water, with a sense of cleansing to live in, in the righteousness of Christ and the purpose of Christ in this world. The scriptures teach that we're both saved once and for all, but we're also being saved at the same time, 1 Corinthians 1.18. 
So we can't just sit back and treat Jesus as mere fire insurance. It doesn't work like that. You know, living simply for ourselves, you know, thinking we'll make it in the door at the end. That's not how we do it. Rather, mature Christians, Christians that are really truly spiritually seeking Christ in life, we pray your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven right now, right? Right now, not in the future. We live under the conviction of the Spirit. We walk with the Spirit, following Jesus in holiness and purpose in life. Secondly, we learn from Jonah that not every door, uh, every open door is to be embraced, right? Not every open, every open door is to be embraced. In Jonah 1.3, after God calls Jonah to Nineveh to preach to them, it says, but Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish, right? He, he went down to Joppa, he found a boat, paid the fare, got on the boat, and he went aboard and he sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord, right? Just because Jonah found a ship going to Tarshish doesn't mean that God provided an alternative to obedience. There will be many diversions out there in life along the road fulfilling, uh, to you know, keeping us from fulfilling our ministry purpose in life. And remember, we all have a ministry, right? And we need to remain prayerful and attentive in order to discern what's from God and what's there to distract or derail us. Nehemiah, remember? And we're faced with so many different choices in life, and there are plenty out there that we can choose instead of being obedient to God. Just because they're there doesn't equate that God has given us an out. And we all know that outs have their consequences. I'm sure we can all testify to that. Someone asked me to buy a few books for the church, and I did since I liked what they said. They, they, bo- they both have to do with our pursuit of a spouse. Uh, when we're single. And I like, I like the books. Many people are out there looking for somebody that will simply make them happy, right? Or, or, or who share their interests. You know, I, I like to go rock climbing, so I got to have somebody that rock climbs with me, right? But what if our pursuit of a spouse centered around the question of who is going to be my partner in, king, in, in the kingdom of God with me? Who's going to be my partner in Jesus with me? Who's going to walk down that road with me? Where, who out there am I called to give my life to in order to spur them on to more growth in Christ and them and me? If you're looking for somebody that's only based on looks or sexual compatibility, which by the way, you should not be having sex before you get married. Let's just be really clear about that. I read some stupid article in, in the Wall Street Journal, how all the churches have given up on this sexual ethic. BS, I'm sorry, it's not true. Not this church and not all the other churches that I would, I would send you to. They, I'm just telling you right now that we are living in a time where they are telling untruth about us. Sorry, I get a little upset. But who out there is going to you know, do this, walk this with me. If you're only looking for sexual compatibility or, or looks or sharing of interest and everything, you are asking for trouble. You are asking for trouble. When we become unequally yoked in marriage or any relationship, be it business or otherwise, we are drawn into things which hinder our witness and our purpose in the Lord. These decisions of life are very important and they're all kingdom decisions. They really are. 
Thirdly, in this passage, we often underestimate the provision of the fish, right? It was provided, right? God's deliverance isn't always easy in our lives. It's not always easy, or, and it's not what we expect. I wouldn't expect to get swallowed by a fish. Jonah expected death. He was going to chuck him over the side of the ship, and he was going to die, you know? Yet, yet God, you know, gave this deliverance of a fish that would add further credibility and another sense of urgency to his mission as God's mouthpiece to the Assyrians. If we find ourselves in trouble due to our disobedience to the Lord, we cannot blame God. We cannot blame God. Children do that, not adults, right? Adults own their mistakes. Christians realize no matter how old we are it, you know, or how far we've come in life, in light of God, we are always children dependent on our spiritual father. We always are. God always knows best for us. I'm 52. My dad's in his 80s. My dad still needs to talk to the Holy Spirit and follow his lead. He's, he hasn't grown past that and he never will. Right? And we know God's will by three avenues. His word, and this church believes that his word is 100% trustworthy. It is God-breathed from cover to cover in the scriptures. It is God's word. I don't throw out any part of it. Some of it's difficult, I know, to understand and all that stuff. But I dig into it and I try and I pray that I would understand it. We, we, know, we know him by his spirit. We, if we come to Christ, we are filled with the Holy Spirit and we can commune with God and talk with him and listen to him and he gives us images, he gives us words and all that kind of stuff and we know him by his church. We hold on to the history, the tradition of the church. Not things that are unhelp, unhelpful and should be changed, but, but things that are solid. That's why we have a statement of faith and we stand our ground on those things because they are, they've come through centuries of church. They, you know, they, they weren't just ancient stupid people. If Paul was here this morning, he would argue any of you under the carpet. Right? We, we hold on to the church and the traditions and we, we, we interact and we get involved and we allow people to speak into our lives and us into theirs. And we all listen to the Holy Spirit together and we confirm things together, right? So his word, his spirit, and his church. Let me, let me stop. I'm a little intense this morning. I, you know, read some horrible things this week. Uh, been dealing with some people that are trying to twist truth not in this church, but outside of this church. And I, it just gets me fired up. Gets me fired up, man. Uh, we, we need to stand our ground. We need to grow up in the Lord, right? And that's, that's, what, we're, that's what we're doing here at 6-8. And I'm excited that we're doing really well at it. But man, sometimes it is a battle. It is a battle out there, right? So, uh, anyway. But uh, if we're faced with what seems... Uh, to be disciplined in our own lives due to our own disobedience. Maybe we've made some bad choices and, and God has brought some, di- some uh, discipline into our lives. We can always take heart with Hebrews chapter 12. It says, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline. Do not lose heart when he rebukes you. Because the Lord disciplines the ones he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his, as his children. For what children, what, what children are not disciplined by their father? If you're not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. 
Legitimate children are in an active relationship with their father. Discipline's a sign of love. It's a sign of love. Since the wisdom and the love of God is willing to see you go through hardship to learn what's actually best for you in life, despite you're not wanting to do it. Despite you're not wanting to do it. Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh, right? But God loved him enough to discipline him in order to turn his heart and teach him vital lessons of the spiritual life. And that being that God calls all of his children to love all peoples, no matter who they are or what they are, and and by leading them into a relationship with himself through proclamation and demonstration of his word, making disciples, the great commission. Fourthly, we learn from Jonah that prayer fuels ministry and a lack of prayerfulness leads us into all kinds of sin and wrongdoing, right? I remember Kim and I were uh, following a missionary friend of ours. We had just flown into Moscow and we, we went down into the subways of Moscow, which were about a mile down. They built them as like bomb shelters too beautiful they're gorgeous down there the the tile work and everything so we're, we 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 were in moscow with him we were going down on the subway he knew moscow we didn't he knew russian we didn't right and we were standing there on the platform and kim was standing in front of us when a train pulled up and kim was so mesmerized by the beauty of the subway that uh, as soon as the train stopped he she didn't hear my friend say this isn't our train don't get on and she just she jumped right on the thing and the door shut and she like turned around eyes like huge like she was scared to death we were only passing through we we didn't know where we were we didn't have an address to go go find each other at and there was no cell phones at the time this is the 90s right it was crazy and so the the door shut and my friend my friend was able to scream through the door just get off at the next stop and i'll come get you you know and so i waited there while he went and got my wife right and and that was a, a blessing. But the point is uh, that if we're not listening or we're, or we're distracted in life, we can quickly get lost in the world. Just get right on the wrong train and get taken away, right? We so, it's so, one wrong decision can make for a lifetime of hell. It really can, right? And we all have testimonies to that fact. I bet you you could dredge up a story from your own life. I have mine. I have my stories. So how does your prayer life shape your witness and add to your credibility? Like Jonah, right? You may, you may feel that God doesn't answer you when you pray. You may feel you have no direction, but God is listening and he's also speaking. The question is, are we listening? See, prayer actually takes practice. I learned so much about prayer when I came into the vineyard. I didn't really understand. I, like, I would pontificate to God. Like, I'd like regurgitate his word to him like as if he didn't know it already, right? Like, I would blah, 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 blah. You know, I was very eloquent, but it was just stupid, right? Prayer means so much more, and I'm still growing in that. And Rachel, who le- leads our prayer ministry, is doing a great job at leading us down that road. But tr- prayer takes practice. It takes a slowing down. It takes a centering on Christ. It, t- it takes an invitation to commune with the Holy Spirit. It, t- it takes a focus on his words and his, and his purpose in life. With a sincere heart, which has sort of laid down its pride and has stopped dictating to God and begins to listen to God. But we live in a culture right now, you guys, 
I, the God's honest truth. We live in a culture which seems almost demonically orchestrated to keep us from seeking solitude with the Lord, from slowing down, from getting quiet. You have to intentionally make that a practice in your life. Pick up that little book that we give away to, uh, I think there's one up here, that we give away to newcomers, My Heart, Christ's Home. And it just speaks about how Christ like sort of waits there in your heart, in the living room of your heart, you know, with a chair next to him that's empty. And he waits for you to come and talk to him and commune with him and to, to, to give you direction and all that kind of stuff. But we often just run out the door frantically just to the next thing we got to do. And we just don't pay attention. And then we wonder why we're lost or we're feeling dry or we're feeling alone or anything like that. Where am I? <laughs> so to apply all this, firstly, prayerfulness precedes action and ensures God's God-honoring ministry, which bears lasting fruit. Let me say that twice. Prayerful, prayerfulness precedes action and ensures God-honoring ministry, which bears lasting fruit in life, right? So is your life built on the sure foundation of prayer and the worship of God? Not dictating to him, but listening, listening prayer. Secondly, God's desire is that we obey his word and his call, right? Willing to become a witness of his name in the darkest of places. Jonah was called to the dark place of Nineveh. We are called to the dark place of the eastern main line. It is a little bit dark out there. Don't let the, uh, the Mercedes and Maseratis fool you. People are lost, no matter how much they got. Remember, our lives matter. We're to reflect Christ in both proclamation and demonstration. So is your missionary identity something you can readily embrace in life, or is it something that you really struggle with or that you don't even pay attention to? And thirdly, when's the last time that you depended on prayer as the only means of deliverance in a situation? Think back in your life, in your ministry, at the times when God answered you, despite yourself, despite your own sin, in order that he might redirect you to pursue his mission, which is always the best thing for you, even if it doesn't feel it. And then lastly, I want to give you two challenges. Spend a moment this week defining carefully what the Bible speaks of in terms of our missionary calling. What synonyms in word or in phrase does the scripture present for the task of mission? I think you're going to start to see it everywhere from cover to cover in the scriptures. Like, go and make disciples from Matthew 28. Your kingdom come, your will be done from the Lord's Prayer. Be like-minded. Philippians chapter 2, I think it is. Have the same love and mindset uh, as that of Christ Jesus. Look not to your, just to your own interest, but also to the interests of others. Through you, I will bless the nations. Genesis chapter 12, right? And 17 and 15, I think it is as well. Love your neighbors as yourself. Etc. I could keep going. But all of these speak of our following and emulating Christ in purpose. That we would bring him glory and be about his mission. And that these concepts, you know, when, when we start to recognize it, they span from cover to cover in the scriptures. They're all over the place. So how do these statements shape and define your life and your purpose? That's the question. Finally, number two, what areas of your, your life and ministry do you need right now to submit to God in prayer? 
Where are you being led astray in your thinking and in, your, in, in disobedience? Where are you being taken away? Where do you need to be refocused? You've been moved from being a slave to sin to a slave of righteousness. That's not an arrogant thing. That's just a positional thing. How are you flirting with disaster out there by your disobedience to that righteousness? Believe me, I, I'm no saint in all this stuff either, right? I struggle with my own junk, right? We all do. Because all these people that we've studied resonate with the Great Commission in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, showing that we're to live as missionaries in proclamation and demonstration. Definitely. Christ is our identity first and foremost, above everything else. His heart is to be followed in word and deed. And so Spurgeon was right. Every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter, right? Either a missionary or an imposter. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you that you are present, that you are here, that you are walking with us, that you are uh, our wonderful counselor, that you care for us, that you're patient with us. I just pray for a conviction to just come over all of us, uh, even the women at the retreat, Father, just a conviction that our lives need to be centered on who you are and nothing else, that that you would begin to dismantle all the crazy arguments against your scriptures, against your lifestyle, against what you have called us to in the scriptures, how you call us to live. I pray that you would just dismantle all that and let us be focused right now on only you and only your purpose and only your glory in this world. We ask that you would Train us up in the way that is everlasting.